0: In July, the Administrative Council approved the uh, new mission, uh, vision statement for our church. The vision team had been working on it uh, since February under Andy Shockney's excellent leadership. The vision statement is in the insert in your bulletin. We are a community of servants called by God's reconciling grace to open doors of sanctuary, to create new avenues of ministry to equip Christians for discipleship, and to lead reconciling ministries. It can be memorized. I just wanted to show you that. (laughs) Colleen gave us a very helpful analogy as we did our work that a vision statement is like a coloring book. A vision statement is the outline of the picture, but it's up to us to put the color in the picture and to give it life. So how we fill in, how we color each one of those phrases is dependent upon us, and it gives us flexibility to express our ministries and live out ministries um, in our unique way. This week I'm going to talk about um, we are a community of servants. That's the who. Then the why is... Called by God's reconciling grace. And then the last four infinitive phrases are the what we are doing. So we're, we're in a sermon series that starts today. We are a community of servants. I'm going to do this in the reverse order. I'm going to do servants, then community, and then we. Servants are those who serve. Now usually when we think of servants, we think of people who are doing work that maybe nobody else wants to do. They might be not as well educated. They're probably not as well paid. Uh, They might lack skills. Servants um, come in all shapes and sizes and colors. When I was in college in New Hampshire, um, I'd come home for the summer to live with my parents in Dayton. And so it was, it was hard to get a summer job. Uh, in those days, you didn't have email or Internet, and you had to do it through mail and all that. And it was just hard to get a summer job. One year, Dad, dad called me and, in April, and he said, you don't have to worry this year. I got a job for you. And I thought, yes, what a great guy Dad is. Way to go, Dad! You know, I needed that summer job because it paid my uh, room and board at college. So I came home in June, and Dad said, um, "Monday, go to the city office, and you'll start work cleaning the toilets in the public parks in Dayton." I could give you a lot of things, stories from that. (laughs) It was one of those jobs that made you really want to go back to college (laughs) in the fall. When we think of servers, we realize that servers are critical to our lives that a lot of our sub- society functions through serving professions. The nurses' aides in hospitals and nursing homes, the trash collectors, the police, the fire fighters. These are all servant professions, the mail carriers. And we would not function well without them. Now, the server that we usually come across the most and have the most interaction with is the server in a restaurant. You know, what are the marks of a good restaurant server? Well, they always begin by coming to our table and saying, hi, my name is Chris. I'm your server for this evening. You know, and we we hope our servant um, is friendly, likes their work, listens, is obedient, pays attention to us, is attentive to our needs, is quick with grace, uh, focuses on us. That's what we look for in a good servant. You know, the... the, um, the opposite of a good servant is, is somebody who is very self-absorbed, who pays no attention to anybody but themselves, is arrogant, is rude, feels self-entitled, can bear a grudge. We don't look for that kind of servant when we talk about servants. Linda, when she talked about her work at Hubbard School, talked about really being a servant to those children as a friend, as a companion, and as a reading tutor. Another example of teachers as servants is from my family. Susan's grandparents were immigrants to the United States. They came in the early uh, 1900s. Susan's grandmothers never became citizens, uh, which would be a problem today. They um, came from Ukraine. They settled in a Ukrainian community, married Ukrainian men. So in the neighborhood, everybody spoke Ukrainian. In the church, everybody spoke Ukrainian. In the home, everyone spoke Ukrainian. Susan's grandmother had no reason to learn English. And until she died, she spoke very broken English. Susan's father was brought up speaking Ukrainian, not English. He had no reason to speak English. He went to kindergarten with his twin brother a year later than most children because Susan's grandmother didn't know you were supposed to send your children to public school in Buffalo. When my father-in-law and his brother went to school, they were frequently beat up because they didn't speak English and they were older. Their teacher, Their kindergarten teacher saw this happening. And she committed to stay after school every day with them for a year to teach them English. That is a servant, and that is a servant's heart. Servants can act in many ways. Yesterday, we walked to um, Ohio Stadium three times. The first time was at 6.30 in the morning. We knew it was game day on ESPN, so we had to go on campus and see where ESPN was set up. That was our first trip. The second trip was at 11.30 to go back to the Oval to see the show for game day on ESPN. The third trip was around six o'clock to soak in the ambience of the crowd, but chiefly to get the giveaways that they had in the tents and booths around St. John Arena. Sugardale hot dogs came through. (laughs) With each trip, I decided I was going to be a welcoming Columbian or Columbusite, whatever we're called. So every time I saw somebody in Oklahoma garb with an OU hat or an OU t-shirt, I said, hi, welcome to Columbus. After a while, Susan said to me, why are you doing that? And I said, well, sometimes Ohio State fans come off bad, and there's bad stories, and I just want to be welcoming and make them feel like they're friendly people in Columbus. So after I explained that to her and said hello to some more OU fans, this, we were walking home from one of those trips around the library, and this young woman in a Harvard T-shirt came walking toward us. And I didn't say anything to her. And and Susan said, why didn't you say hello to the Harvard young woman? And I said, lines have to be drawn somewhere. (laughs) Now that's an inside joke for the staff. Ask Colleen to explain it. Um, A servant can do something as simple as say, Hi, my name is Chris. I'm your server. Hi, welcome to Columbus. It's that easy. One of the most important service jobs in this church and in any church are people who will take on the service role and be attentive to the needs of people coming into the building and saying, hi, welcome to King Avenue. Hi, my name is Chris, or Linda, or Bob. It isn't that hard, but it is so important. You can sign up as a greeter. Charlie and Zena would be glad to talk to you. And even if you don't sign up as a greeter, we all can be servants to welcome people here. It makes a huge difference. So we are servants. We are a community of servants. Being close geographically in one location by itself does not create a community. Living together in a dorm or a prison or an apartment complex, or a hospital, or a nursing home, does not necessarily create a community. Communities have common goals, and common visions, and common values, and a center. Communities are made up of diverse people. Not everyone thinks alike, not everyone um, dresses alike or acts alike. That's what's called a pseudo-community, where we think in order to to connect, we have to all be alike. No, there's a variety in a community where people use their gifts and their talents to help each other. When St. Bernard was drawing up the rules for monastic life in the 6th century, he had this quote in his rules, it is easier to travel than it is to stop. And what he meant by that was when we're traveling, when we're moving, we don't really connect to people and we can be who we think we are, we can pretend who we are, but it's only when we stop in one place where we connect to other people and a community develops, it's only when we stop that we can begin to grow and mature and change and transform. It's only when we stop that we're somewhere long enough that we can develop respect and truthfulness and be be challenged and be comforted. It's easier to travel because we don't have to be anything than it is to stop and become something. And for St. Bernard, that happens in a community. When I think about it, a healthy community, the marks of a healthy community are the same as the marks for servanthood. A healthy community is made up of people who are patient and humble, pay attention to the other person, who listen, who are grateful, who are not self-absorbed, I mean, it's a horrible, it's not a community when it's made up of people who are self-absorbed, who are resentful, who are self-centered. who Think only of themselves and who are arrogant and rude. That's not a community. When we um, came up with the first phrase, we are a community of servants, I thought we were talking about servants in terms of King Avenue people serving at New Life, serving at NEMAP, serving at Hubbard, serving at Habitat for Humanity, serving in Mexico. And that's fine, and we do. But I realize now that that notion of community of servants starts here, that we serve each other. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We support others. We care for them. They matter to us. Then we take that service that we've learned working with each other, that respect and that truthfulness and that truth telling and that patience and understanding. We take what we've learned as servants here out into the real world and say to people in the real world hi my name is Chris I'm your server there's a I can't remember if it's Buddhist or Hindu and it's an old story and you've probably heard it of what's heaven and what's hell and the story is told that hell is a big table that people are sitting around, and it's full of wonderful food. You know, great appetizers and salads and pulled pork and macaroni and cheese and all that kind of stuff, and desserts. And It's wonderful, but everybody's seated at the table. Their arms are three feet long, And their elbows don't bend. And so they can't get the food on the table to their mouth. I can't bend my elbow to get the food to my mouth. That's hell. Where we have all this wonderful stuff in front of us, but we can't get to it. heaven is the same scene, same people seated around the table, same problem with the arms except in heaven people are picking up the food and giving it to the person across the table from them heaven is a community and it's a community that makes heaven So we are a community of servants, we. There's a world of difference between saying I and we, saying my and ours. Steinbeck in The Grapes of Wrath says it's the most revolutionary idea in human history, the idea of moving from solitary individuals to we. When we say we, we belong, we count, we matter, we are responsible to each other. And the important thing, I think, is that we belong. I'm not sure that any phrases irritate me more in the ministry as when people say things like, people in the church say things like, why don't they sing better music? Why don't they you know, keep the building cleaner? Why don't they have a better budget? Or those people aren't cooperating. Those are statements that people make when they don't belong. Why don't we have a better budget? Why don't we have better giving? Why don't we have better music? Why don't we have better Sunday school? Why don't we have more volunteers? We're responsible because we are part of the larger group. It makes a world of difference whether we say we are those people in the prodigal son the son that doesn't get along with his brother, is always saying, that son, that person. He will not acknowledge that the other brother is part of the family. In October, we'll hang the all-together quilt that is a visual reminder of we. We are together in our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. In the Ephesians reading, Paul talks about how we're given these gifts and we share them and we're knitted together into one body. One translation talks about moving rhythmically, together graceful in love it's a dance image it's a dance we dance together as a community of servants when our girls were younger they would go to these summer ballet camps and I can't remember which daughter it was but went to a two-week camp in Flint Michigan about 100 kids from all over the country, all ages, came together in Flint for this ballet school. And at the end of the school, when we went to pick up our children, they had a recital. And all 100 kids were somehow in this ballet. Some had big roles, some had little roles. some were spinning, some were running, some were jumping, some were lifting. They were all doing something. And it was beautiful. And I leaned over to Susan and I said, this is beautiful how all these kids came together in two weeks to create this sharing of gifts, thinking of the big picture rather than just them. It was beautiful. And Susan said to me, the choreographer must be really good. And I thought, choreographer? I wasn't even thinking of a choreographer. You never see the choreographer, do you? You just see the results of the choreographer's work and direction. You know, in this sermon, I have not mentioned God once. All we've said in that first phrase is, we are a community of servants. Because you never see God, do you? You never see our choreographer who puts the dance together. But when we really cook as a community of servants, people know that the choreographer is good. Paul says we have one God of all of us when we are a community of servants people clearly know that the choreographer exists and is good and is bringing people together may it be so amen